Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Lord, before we go anywhere else, we are thankful for the wives that you've given us. In your merciful, loving kindness and faithful providence, you have led us to a great group of wives for which we are very thankful. Help us now to be worthy of them and to take care of them and love them as you would have us care for them. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Amen and amen. Amen. A single verse for the men. Six verses last Lord's Day for the women, First Peter 3, 1 through 6. Now the seventh verse for us husbands of the wives that were addressed in those earlier verses. It's important to remember that what is necessary for a marriage is submission, not love. Love is not necessary for a marriage. Uh, benevolence is not necessary for a government. A good and gentle master is not necessary for a business. A business, a government, a marriage, needs the submission of the one under authority, and that puts it into existence. And it can be rather efficient. It can be good. But it takes love, and it takes benevolence, and it takes gentleness and goodness for any one of those three spheres that I just used to be great. And whether it's goodness or greatness, God's told us how we're supposed to take care of those under us. And so it doesn't matter, really. It's just that authority gets it started. And that's why in the Bible, when it comes to families, the Lord starts with children. Children, obey. Fathers, provoke not. Always in that order. Servants, submit. Masters, take good care. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Because marriage starts with, I do. By a woman subjecting her desires, her life, to her husband. Then it's her husband's duty to love that woman. And that makes a marriage great. And benevolence makes a nation great. And goodness and gentleness in the part of a master makes an employment situation great. Here we have before us the husband. And so we are specifically addressed by name of the office we have. We open God's Word, brethren, and humble ourselves before what it has to say, including this husband verse. We love to say, Psalm 119, 128, that we esteem all His precepts concerning all things to be right, and we hate every false way. Well, today it's time to hate every false way that we have in the way that we treat our wives, that the Word of God might expose as we hold up that mirror and look at the blemishes on our face, the mirror being God's Word. The Creator that made the woman and invented love, sex, and marriage deserves our attention. And let's not dread what's about to come today. Let's embrace it. And let's be thankful for it. And let's do it. It's exciting. Uh, The Lord's done it toward us. 
Why in the world did the Lord Jesus Christ lay down His life and go through the torture of the cross in order to make us joint heirs with Him? Most families have not operated that way. When one son is known to be the preeminent and superior son to all the others, he does not share his inheritance with his enemies. But the Lord Jesus Christ did that. Can we do that? Can we use our position and the blessings that God's given us and the fact that He chose us to be husbands to love our wives? Rather than dread this teaching, let's embrace it. Let's examine ourselves and make changes. How can husbands expect their wives to make changes and be more submissive, doting, and reverent if we can't put this into practice ourselves? This is not optional material. This is not for those who want to be special Christians. This is basic Christianity, and that is for husbands to love their wives. So important is this relationship in the sight of God that your prayers and your walk with Him will be hindered if you don't do it His way. That is strong threat and warning that is in 1 Peter 3.7. The same series that I mentioned last Lord's Day that was preached in 1988 and 1989 called Maximizing Your Marriage, sermons 3, 4, and 5 deal with the husband's duties. If you want to go back there and find them on our website and listen to them. But we have before us one sentence, one little verse for the men. Let's see how much we can get out of it in today's assemblies. Likewise, just like I have dealt with three spheres of authority before, and this is the fourth relational requirement, relational exhortation, I have something to say to you husbands. Now this is the first one where God addresses those in authority. He started out with, in verse 13, of us being under government, in verse 18 of us being under employers, And then the wife in the first six verses of this chapter of being under husbands, here's the first one where he addresses those in authority. Whether a person is under authority or in authority, God has something to say to them. The Bible has both for all five spheres of authority. It was presented to you in detail that's on the website in a presentation at a men's meeting called The Glory The wisdom of authority. The wisdom of authority. In which we look at each authority sphere, those under authority, those in authority, and how God will hold those in authority responsible for not treating those under authority the right way. The basic problem in all relationships is is always and only sinful living habits. Sin is what disrupts and breaks up relationships And sin is what we want to hate. True counseling of any value is to hear enough to identify a sin and say that is sin, that is wrong. God commands against that. God condemns that. Now change. It's not psychobabble. It's not psychiatry. It is identifying sinful living, living habits and changing them. And only those with the fear of the Lord who tremble before God can be affected by Bible counseling. Because Bible counseling is simply to apply the Word of God to our lives. And we want to apply it to ourselves today. Husbands, husbands are not the result of an ancient sexual competition or the survival of the fittest. 
That's not why it says here, likewise ye husbands. Where did husbands come from? Man did not win the first hunting Olympics and earn the physical right to marital rule. Man was given this office by the God of heaven who created the man first and then created Eve to be his helper. So God sets the rules for how they get along with each other. And He has rules for both the woman under authority and the man in authority. Let's not rationalize or reason or react as mere men, but let's remember we're the appointed rulers of God and He has told us how we should execute our offices. Now wise men will do a little reasoning when we come to a subject like this. And it should result in greater appreciation and obedience to what I'm about to teach. The Bible, throughout, and in the preceding context of six verses, proves that the woman was made for the man. 1 Corinthians 11.9 For the man was not made for the woman, but the woman for the man. That this beautiful, helpful, gratifying creature was made for him should cause some attention. God is great and gracious in such a thing. However, the greatest pleasure from the woman must obviously be by the Creator's rules. If God made the man, and then God made the woman for the man, and God has rules on how the man should take care of the woman, when the woman was made for the man, then if the man will do it God's way, the man benefits big time. And to circumvent the the inventor's manual is to cut off your nose. It's to hurt yourself. So let's get excited about doing it God's way because if God made the woman for the man, the man's going to benefit the most by treating her the Lord's way. Is that simple logic? It's exciting logic. We shouldn't even need that logic. If the Lord said it, that settles it. 1 Peter 3, 7. But I want to encourage you by doing it God's way. I hope you... I like that. That gets me a little worked up. If I can read in the Bible that... My wife was made for me, and God has rules on how I should take care of her, though she was made for me, then I guess if I take care of her God's way, I'm going to get the biggest result. This profound logic should be obvious, but it's also stated and illustrated in Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, and I hope you read it last evening, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word that He might present it to Himself. See, I never heard it taught that way. Do you know what the highest motive is for a man to love his wife? For himself. Now you, now you women are sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't know if I like that that his motive would be so selfish that he's loving on me and doting on me for himself. You haven't figured out your husbands yet? That the strongest motive they have is themselves? Come on, ladies! That's the way you want it! That's why Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus Christ didn't die for us because He felt sorry for us. Jesus Christ died for us so that He could have presented to Himself in heaven and a spotless bride that would be for His praise and delight forever and ever. The Bible says that. The Bible says no man ever yet hated his own flesh. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Because if you love your wife 
the Lord's way, the Bible way, it's going to come back to you in spades or whatever, whatever the expression is. Don't see, I don't believe in, I don't use those expressions either. If you love your wife the way the, the Lord tells you to, it's going to come back to you because she was made for you. Let's embrace this and understand it and use this powerful leverage and motive that God's even defined and expressed in His Bible. And it's the same motive that God and Christ have in sending Jesus Christ to die for us that through eternity we will be His doting wife. Right. Why did God create Eve with a greater sexual capacity than the man? Because if a man will put his wife first, he benefits. It's a simple little rule. It's a powerful rule. Admire every feature of a perfect wife. Think right now about anything you want to think about. Her personality, her looks, her anatomy, her difference from you, her emotion, her gentleness. Admire every feature of a perfect wife. God made her that way for you. Listen to His rules. His rules work. His rules are powerful, and His rules will come back to benefit you. The woman is a responder, and you will get from your wife according to your love of her. Your wife is like a flower. You benefit when the bud blossoms through your heat and rain. And your heat and rain are your attention and your affection given to her. Now men admire God's wisdom in many things, But His wisdom here should get our attention even more than some other things. Likewise, ye husbands. You know, when the Bible addresses a category of persons and we fit the category, we should get excited that the Bible has turned its attention right to us specifically and directly that there's something that can benefit our lives. And so we've got it, men, right here. The Bible is not a dry, stuffy, theological manuscript for some monastery somewhere. The Bible is a practical manual of how to use the things He's given us. And He's given us the wonderful thing called a wife, the wonderful person of our wives. You came into the world knowing nothing, but God has given you a Bible, a written manual for you to know exactly what to do with her. Now, I'm thankful for for this. Uh, You know, I have my mother-in-law sitting here, and she's about to hear something that she didn't know before. And so it's a little bit painful, but not much. Uh, Because God's been very gracious. Now, I've always been a wild thing. And I never grew up having olives in the house. And my little woman grew up having olives in the house. I didn't think that green olives were fit for human consumption. As some have said, they taste like little sacks of sweat. So, for 12 years, Mother, I didn't allow green olives in our house. And in 1988 and 89, I'm preaching on marriage. And I'm realizing, you're a tyrant. The nickname they had for you at the bank of Little Hitler was fitting. So, and and please pardon me for a time or two to be personal going through this instead of using you as an example. Let me use me. Um, Mom, I gave her a little gift bag. And the card on it said, knock, knock. Who's there? Olive. Olive who? I love you. (laughs) 
In the bag was a jar of green olives and a bag of peanut M&M's. Peanut M&M's do not taste like little sacks of sweat. Um, that was because the Lord was convicting me and I want us all to be convicted. I want to be convicted by this. I've already been convicted by this because I've been it for a number of hours before I even got here this morning. Now, there was a sister in this church that figured out from an update that little knock-knock story, and so she brought me a jar of olives today where olives is spelled O-L-O-V-E-S. Can you believe that? O-L-O-V-E-S instead of O-L-I-V-E-S. She brought that for me. That was very nice and very creative and crazy. Uh, but uh, we're going to keep that as a little memento. Don't eat them while I'm preaching. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Th- thank you, Lord. I'm thankful that in a, a couple of months, I will have my 38th anniversary, and I'm very thankful for the wife that God gave me. You know, I don't want to say anything foolish. And I don't want to offend any of you. I have the best wife in here. She's perfect for me. She's just perfect whether it's qualified for me or not. She's a wonderful woman. I'm very thankful for her. I'm very thankful for the way the Lord has led us. I'm very thankful for the way the Lord has preserved and kept us through difficult times, thick and thin, for better and for worse. And I'm very thankful. I want you to be thankful with me for your wives. I want us just to have a happy family in the Lord. He's been so kind to give us wives. Do you remember those days when you didn't have one and you wanted one so bad and you were you were begging and pleading for the Lord to give you one? And when you thought you saw the one that you wanted, you continued to beg the Lord, I want that one, Lord. It's that one I want. Please help. Well, you've got her. Right. You know, we're sitting here today, and let's make the most of our marriages. The things that follow that I'm going to say to you are not very new for those that have been around a while and heard the Word of God preached and been to men's meetings with us. But the issue is whether we're going to do them or not. Right. It's always the issue. The Lord has blessed us with a tsunami of knowledge, of doctrine and knowledge of practice. But the issue of every relationship and every part of our lives comes down to, are we going to do what the Bible says? Though in authority also have responsibilities. And so that's what we have before us in verse 7. Though the man, though the woman, excuse me, Though the woman was just put under the man for six verses, the husband is under God. Now now, now notice, the threat to the man in verse 7 is not that his wife's going to leave him. The threat to the man in verse 7 is, I won't listen to you when you pray. That is serious. As I'm going to say if I see it in my notes as we get to it, It's one thing to have to go explain to your father-in-law how you're treating his daughter. That's one thing, and that's serious. But our wives are God's daughters, and we're going to give an account to Him how we've treated our wives. He will ask us the most searching, penetrating questions that you can imagine because He knows the inner working of your heart and your bedroom and your home, things that we cannot see, but you will give an account for them. So, let's remember that we're under God. If anybody misunderstood me last Lord's Day, 
by me describing the double standard that is in the Word of God, and it is as plain and as big as day. It is a neon sign that there is a double standard for men and women in the Bible. Not that some things are sin for women and they're not sin for men. In how the Lord deals with them and the woman owes her loyalty to the man and the man owes his loyalty only to God, not back to the woman. It's just, it's just a difference that the Lord made. And if anybody misunderstood me, you should be hearing me loud and clear right now. When we get to heaven, we're going to give an account to God about how we've treated His daughter. Because we've married His daughters. Authority is for the benefit of those under authority. I can remember the men's meeting we had when I went through the the wisdom of authority. And some of you marveled and, and appreciated that point very much as I kept pressing it home. In all five spheres of authority, authority is not given to a man for his benefit. Authority is given to a man for those for the benefit of those under him. And that really changes your perspective on authority. And some of you were very convicted by that, just that point that night, and I want to remind you of it right now. You know, fathers can provoke children to wrath or discourage them, and they can do the same to wives, and we're supposed to avoid that. Because the authority is given to a father to help that son or that daughter grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not to be discouraged from following the Lord because we're too harsh and too overbearing. One of the great features of the Christian religion, our religion, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is its protection and honor of women. Many girls, many girls have been born into societies where they were treated like cattle without love. Many in the history of the world. Many even today. Where Christianity has gone, women have been emancipated. That means to be freed. And enjoyed the best lives. Women enjoy the best lives where the gospel goes. Many religions, philosophies, and traditions give the husband full rule without any responsibility to love his wife. If a woman truly grasped this truth that I'm sharing with you right now, she would love God on a different level. She would love the Bible. She would love plain and strong Bible preaching. And she would marry a man that fears the Lord to be in a church with regular such preaching because she will benefit. Because the Bible is the most liberating book in the world for women. Women's liberation is not what is out there and is the mantra and the agenda of the National Organization for Women. It's the Word of God. Women are not benefiting by the now organization. They benefit by the gospel being put into practice by men who fear the Lord. Wise women will be thankful for men's meetings in this church and pray for their man attending those meetings. Brethren, we can adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ by treating our wives better than the world treats theirs. Let's show them how it's done. Let's show them what real love is. Let's show them what a real marriage is. Let's show them what lovemaking is and the happiness that it creates between two people. Let's do it right. The first thing, and I've mentioned it already, is that a, a wife needs to submit to her husband. Six verses for that. And now that it's, now it's a husband properly taking care of his wife. Many things have been preached in this church on this subject over the years. And I'm not going to preach all about marriage right now. I just want to deal with this verse and the duties that it puts on a man. But I hope that you men will remember that there are many other documents and sermons available 
for your use if you're serious about being the best husband that you can be. I went through a list uh, last Lord's Day with the women. The list is the same with some additions that happen at men's meetings for all of you men. Now the verse says, Likewise ye husbands. And we've just dealt with the fact that likewise, husbands have rules affecting them, and that we are in an office that God ordained, and it says, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now when it says dwell with them, that doesn't mean just having the same postal mailing address. When the world says, I'm living with so-and-so, does it mean they just have the same postal address? Or does it mean they've entered into the intimate relationship that should belong only to a husband and a wife? And so we understand that word dwell here is not just having the same address, but living as husband and wife together. You know, context tells us so much about words. When the Bible says in Job 31 and verse 1 that Job made a covenant with his eyes, why then should I think upon a maid? Did Job ever think upon the handmaids of his large domestic crew? Of course he did. But he didn't ever think sexually about the handmaids that were part of his large domestic crew. When the Bible says that Adam knew his wife Eve, does that mean he was aware of her existence? Or does that mean he knew her sexually? And when it says dwell here, we understand that as the husband and wife, personal, intimate interaction, including the marriage bed, dwell with them, live with them, be a husband to them, let her be your wife with knowledge. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Oh, dear brothers, I've said this once about the penetrating questions we're going to get when we're before the Lord. God sees everything. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs 15.3 God would say through Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 23, Do not I fill heaven and earth? Where are you going to hide yourself from me? God sees the evil and the good. He fills heaven and earth. He sees everything that we do. Do you remember from Wednesday evening, four days ago, from Isaiah chapter 3, God saw their necks? Did He see the necks of women? Their wanton eyes? Did He hear the tinkling of their feet? Did He see their mincing walk? Did He see inside here and know they had a haughty spirit? Was that all taught in Isaiah chapter 3? Did we go through a list of 23 items of clothing, accessories and tools used by women to beautify themselves? God saw all of that. He's the one that made the list. Isaiah didn't make the list. God made the list. He sees the Spirit. He hears the words. He sees the eyes. He sees the stretched forth neck. He sees the mincing walk, the exaggerated gait. Of a, of a woman to exaggerate certain body parts. He sees all of that. And so just from four days ago, taking up a slightly different subject, not trying to serve today, but I remind you that God sees everything. His eyes behold the evil and the good. He witnesses every way you treat your wife. Cursing the king in thought or cursing the rich in your bedroom, God said would find you out. A bird of the air would carry that word. In my thoughts. So how do you think about your wife? 
And you're saying to yourself right now, do I need to worry about how I think about my wife? The thought of foolishness is sin. Proverbs 24, 9. And you didn't have that questioning spirit last Lord's Day when I pointed out to you that Sarah called Abraham Lord in her thoughts. In her thoughts is what is pulled out. Her thought about Abraham is pulled out and written down in 1 Peter 3, 6. Your thoughts about your wife are going to be pulled out and put on a big screen TV in front of the Lord. So let's guard our thoughts. Let's guard our words. You know, our wives know us the best. Is that a blessing? And so we think that we can say things in front of our wives that we wouldn't say to someone else. That is horrible. We should be more willing to say something to someone else who's not our beloved spouse, who's not our loving hind and tender roe, than we would our wife. We're corrupt. But we'll give an account for these things. Brethren, let's be very careful about this. God sees everything, including all activities, words and thoughts, even in your bedroom, as the Bible teaches us. We don't even want to curse the king in our thoughts, let alone let's not hold bitterness against our wives in our thoughts. If you've got a problem with your wife, then sit down with her, since you are the conflict resolution manager. That's your title. You're the conflict resolution manager. Sit down with your wife and work through it in a scriptural, kind, loving, leading way until you have it fully resolved. Then there can be no bitterness. Bitterness is the result of offenses not dealt with properly. That's where bitterness comes from. You can get rid of all bitterness and the fuel for bitterness by dealing with all the offenses or problems or issues between you two the proper way. Lord, help us to do that. Because He hates bitterness. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Colossians 3.18 Now that is short. That little short verse, is it even worth putting in the Bible? Or does it hit men pretty hard? Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And we resolve bitterness by getting rid of the offenses in a scriptural way by sitting down with your wife and going through, listen wife, we have a problem. And this is how I see the problem. And it's not right according to God's Word. And we should get this fixed. I apologize for my part in the problem. I was wrong in doing such and such and such. From God's Word, you were wrong in doing such and such as well. And work through that until the wife is holding your hands and you're at peace with each other and you're looking each other in the face and that is over. There are no differences between you left. You say, well, I just want to be the glorious man and overlook her faults. Do you ever think about them again? Do you ever think about those faults again? Then you haven't overlooked them. Go back to point A, where I just was. Sit down with the wife, take her by the hands, and tell her we have a little problem. I've had a role in the problem, and I'm sorry. You've had a role in the problem, and it's wrong. And women... If you ever have a husband that deals with you the Bible way, you better say, you're right, I've been wrong too when he brings the Word of God to bear. 
And then let's flush the whole thing. Right. Let's never think about this again. Let's never talk about it again. Let's not have any bitterness in our relationship. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Time may pass, but God remembers individual women and their marital plights. If your wife is unhappy, it's your fault, and you will be held accountable for it, and God is not going to allow you to have any real happiness in the meantime. That's bad. That is called lose-lose. You lose in this life, and then you lose when you meet the Lord. You should be making your wife happy. The Bible says that a man was not to be charged with business or war for the first year of his marriage to stay at home and cheer up his wife. Oh, so I guess men can cheer up their wives. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it says in 1 Corinthians 7.33 that the unmarried man careth for the things of the Lord, but the married man careth for the things of his wife of the world, how he may please his wife. Let's do these things. Time may pass. And so you may forget something, but God doesn't forget your wives. There was a little woman in the Bible. Her name was Hannah. Her husband had married another woman, so that there were two wives, at least at home. The other woman was named Peninnah. Peninnah picked on Hannah incessantly because Peninnah had a number of children. Hannah was barren and didn't have any children. It was a, it was a painful relationship for her. The husband did love Hannah more than he loved Peninnah, and the husband would tell Hannah that he loved Hannah more than he loved Peninnah, but that still did not take away that woman's unhappiness for not having a child. And it goes on and describes the grief of her heart. But I love these words. The Lord remembered Hannah. And she conceived, and she conceived again, And she conceived again, and she conceived again, and again, and again. She had six children, the first of which was Samuel. My whole point being, God remembers women and their marital plates. If your wife is not happy, God is not happy, you aren't going to be happy, and when you meet Him, you do not even understand what kind of unhappiness you're going to experience giving an account for your cruel, insensitive, neglectful, selfish treatment of your wife. According to knowledge... I understand this text when it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, that the things you should know about your wife are primarily the two things in the verse. There are two things in the verse you're supposed to know about your wife, and by knowing those two things, you can fulfill the verse. And that is that your wife is the weaker vessel, so you have to be sensitive to her abilities and endurance and perseverance and strength and courage. Her physical strength and fortitude is less than yours. So you've got to understand she is the weaker vessel. That's one thing. The second thing is that she is an equal heir with you of the grace of eternal life. In Jesus Christ, she and you are absolute equals. There is no male or female in Jesus Christ. And this church, though we stand very strongly on a wife submitting 
and the the subordination of wives, and the subjection of wives to their husbands. And though we stand strongly on Genesis 3.16, that husbands should rule over wives, and that their desires should be lost in their husbands' desires, because these are the things the Bible teaches very plainly, that the woman was made for the man, the man was not made for the woman. The Bible says all these things plainly, yet at the same time, we want to remember that a man is supposed to dwell with them according to knowledge. She's the weaker vessel. We cannot expect from her what we would expect from ourselves. And she is equal to us in Christ Jesus. There is no marriage in heaven. There's no male nor female there. There's no husband or wife. And in the verse that says there's neither male nor female in Christ, it also says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. Now, in, a, in a, an employment situation, is there a difference between a bondman and a freeman? Yes. But in Christ, no. There is no difference. Those are two things. That's what I, I understand from looking at this verse, studying this verse, that the word knowledge does not mean that single word Peter intends for every reader and listener to blow it up into a helium balloon that includes everything that can possibly be raised about the difference between men and women. When we're analyzing this text, however, since we're at this text, let's think of some things that we ought to remember about our wives as we proceed, that the Bible teaches or that we learn from experience about our women. There's the, the two primary things that I want that, that'll be the focus of today's preaching. The two primary things, she's the weaker vessel and she is equal in Christ. God has just given her a different role. Jews and Greeks are equal in all qualitative measures of men. But there was a difference in their relationship of church membership under God. Bond and free are qualitatively equal as men, but in the employment relationship, one is a servant or slave and the other is a hired man. Husband and wife, male and female, qualitatively before God, they're the same. They are a human soul created by the power of God, by His spoken word in the Garden of Eden, by a rib from Adam, if you want to remember the creation of Eve. And they are the same in heaven. There'll be no difference in heaven. There's no subordination. But in the role of marriage, there is subordination. And we want to remember that. And so husbands cannot get too wrapped up and too excited about these six verses that preceded this in 1 Peter 3 and thus be onerous or overbearing or cruel toward their wives because in Christ they're their equal and they ought to be enjoying the inheritance and the gospel, the good news of inheritance with their wives and they should remember that they are the weaker vessel because God created them to be weaker coming out of man as early as the Garden of Eden and so they should be shown some deference and mercy in what they do and what's expected of them. You know, some men marry out of lust. Such brutes should room with others like them in prison. Some men marry a wife only out of necessity, out of for money, for politics, for whatever reason. But we as Christians, when we marry, we marry and we dwell with them. We function as a husband according to knowledge. And that knowledge is taught to us in God's Word. And so those two points that we emphasize are taught right here in God's Word. Comparing your wife to any other woman is something you should know doesn't work. Can you learn that from a Bible? 
In Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 18, does God have something to say about taking a woman with her sister sexually? Does the Lord have something to say about that? It's an abomination to Him. We shouldn't, we can learn from that that wives shouldn't be compared. Uh, Try it a few times on your wife and you should be able to figure it out. That wives shouldn't be compared to other women. It's just a little rule of dwelling with them according to knowledge. I know that I shouldn't do that. How often, you know, I have explained this a number of times, and I am gratified that coming to this subject, it still carries as much weight and force and leverage. And that is, take any other sphere of authority and and apply the point that's at question or the point that you're considering to find out how painful it is. If your boss on the job was continually comparing you to somebody else and saying they're so much, they're such a better worker than you are. They're so much smarter than you are. Their, their work is so much of a higher quality than yours. How would it affect you? It'd rip you up. It would infuriate you. You don't want your boss to do that to you. We shouldn't do it to our wives. I'm just using a few examples here. The Bible says you should know this. That marriage should be a restful state. As Naomi said to Ruth, so you should make your marriage a restful state for your wife. That doesn't mean she doesn't do anything. That means she's protected from onerous burden of providing for herself by herself. But Naomi said it to Ruth twice. In Ruth 1.9 and in Ruth chapter uh, 3 and verse 1. She said it twice. That I, I need to find you rest, Ruth. And so when I read that, I'm just thinking about things the Bible teaches us that we should know about how to treat our wives. I want to protect my wife. I want to take the brunt of the responsibility, the brunt of the provision, the brunt of the detail work, and that may differ in some marriages. For those of you that know my marriage well, you know that that's a wise choice. Um, It can differ in marriages without it being wrong, but I want her to have some rest and protection in her marriage so that she is not stressed, Frightened, pressured in having to do things that are beyond the the limit of what is necessary. I'll do them for her. And that's where the man is supposed to step up and, you know, be the breadwinner and bring home the bacon, you know, those particular expressions. But we want to have a restful situation for her where she can thrive. You know, she's a flower and we want her to bloom and blossom. Bang! We want her to open up. We want, we want her to, we want to have, enjoy all that God ever made her to be. And we do that by our heat and rain that we supply to her, our light. We want to be the sun and the rain in her life. And so we make her rest, we, we make it a restful state for her. I've already mentioned something about greater sexual capacity that a woman has. And you should know that about a wife. And if you haven't, if you don't know that about a wife, ask me and I can recommend some websites or books to help get you enlightened. I want you to remember this, men, that when it comes to sex in the Bible, and it's describing the, the responsibility that each spouse has toward the other, in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, it puts it this way. And you should know it by now. I know the men have memorized this verse. Let the husband Render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise, the wife unto the husband. I mean, that's no big deal. Are you listening to me? 
I mean, for an MCP that studies the Bible, what's that, Pastor? Male chauvinist pig. For an MCP that studies the Bible, and I'm speaking as a fool for a moment, when I read through the Bible, I know what it does. It says children first, then fathers. It says servants first, then masters. It says wives first, then husbands. God, this is no, this is not coincidental. It's not accidental. But when it comes to sex in marriage, it says let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Due is what you owe her. Benevolence is sex the way she wants it, where she wants it, how she wants it, when she wants it, and how often she wants it. And and the Lord goes after the men first, that that's what we owe the wives. Now, if I was a 28-year-old pastor preaching that to you, I might wonder what the Apostle Paul was talking about. How could he put it in that order? But now I'm a 57-year-old pastor talking to you, and it makes more sense. And I'm just being very honest with you that are able to think through my veiled speech, which is hard for me to even use. But uh, I just love the, I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. And now I've said enough to you already that if you will always keep, whether you're young or old, now I didn't say that if you're 28, you can disregard 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 3, but if you're young, you will learn something fast, and that is to make your wife more important in that part of the marriage. You both will benefit, and if she's benefiting, you are going to benefit. All glory to God. Amen. Women are body insecure. So it's your duty to praise your wife for her body and not criticize her body. You say, where's that taught in the Bible? Well, it says it in Song of Solomon chapter 8, where the woman in the Song of Solomon said, we have a little sister. What will we do for our little sister in the day when she is spoken of because she has no breasts? And since there's no cosmetic surgeons available, what are we going to do for her when she's spoken for me? And it's very plain in three verses, Song of Solomon chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, that... uh, You know, breasts are important to women. Breasts are important to men. The Bible says so. The Bible says in Proverbs 5.19, let her breasts satisfy thee at all times. That means there's no reason for you to want to see another woman's breasts because her breasts should satisfy you at all times. They're insecure about those things. So if you really love your wife, you're going to tell her that she is just right for you. She's great for you. You enjoy her just the way she is. You're thankful for her. And they're bigger than they were last week. Whatever you need to say. Do you know the value of verbal reassurance for your wife to realize her happy fulfillment? Women need words. Give them words. I don't care if you don't like words. I don't care if you don't automatically think of words. That's because you're a blockhead. Grow up, become a man, and learn to use words. They like words. They like sweet nothings whispered in their ears. They like to hear nice things. Do you know that? So it says dwell with them according to knowledge. So let's dwell with them and remember some things about them. You say, how do you know that from a Bible? Genesis chapter 34 tells us, how did Shechem get Dinah? He spoke kindly to her. He spoke kindly to her. Do you know the need of emotional comfort for her to feel loved and secure in marriage? Do you know how Leah felt in a marriage? 
where she knew that her husband loved Rachel more than he loved her, she just thanked the Lord that the Lord was looking out for her, giving her so many sons to give to Jacob. Do you know the value of verbal intimacy for her to be truly and fully satisfied sexually? Do you know her temperamental makeup and show her some mercy accordingly? Do you know her daily responsibilities, tribulations, troubles, problems, and worries? Have you figured those things out? Have you asked her about them? Do you show her some commiseration for them? Do you remember that she's vulnerable to deception, so she needs your help and protection to sit down and patiently and kindly explain some things to her that she might not grasp intuitively? It's not good for the soul to be without knowledge, the Bible tells us. And it says here, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. And the Bible says it's not good for the soul to be without knowledge, but God has given us so much knowledge about women in the Bible, if we'll read it. And it's been called out before in couples retreats material, in a marriage manual, and in sermon outlines. It's been pulled out before for you to embrace and to practice in your life. Out of our 66-book divine library, is there one entitled The Song of Solomon? Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, wrote a love song. And it's about a husband and a wife. And it's written like a song. And so you've got to understand there's a great deal of metaphorical language in it. But it describes two people madly in love with each other, crazy about each other. Crazy in bed. The best lovemaking position is twice in the book of Song of Solomon. It's a wonderful book. It's in the Bible. Embrace it. Yes, it can be seen as a metaphorical picture of Jesus Christ's love for the church, but how do you construct that metaphorical picture of Jesus Christ's love for the church without describing two lovers in the highest language possible known to God and men? How about the one sentence in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7? Charity suffereth long. And it goes on in 15, that's 15 phrases to define love. It is not good that the soul be without knowledge, but God has given us so much knowledge. If, we, if you treat your wife the way 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 does, and if you're romantic like the Song of Solomon is, you've got it made in the shade. It's in the Word of God. Lord, thank You for Your Word. We love Your Word. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Honor unto the wife. Now, this is interesting. In all the spheres of authority so far, it's the one under authority that gives honor to the one in authority, but not here. You know, honor the king. Honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well with thee. Showing all good fidelity to your masters on the job. But here, the one in authority is to show some honor to the one under authority. What does honor mean? It means high respect, esteem, or reverence, according to exalted worth or rank, deferential admiration, or approbation, that's approval. That's to admire your wife, to approve of your wife, to esteem your wife, and to highly respect your wife. The honor here can't be submissive, deferential honor like parents, masters, or kings expect. 
But it must be respect, esteem, admiration, and approval to match the things that are in the context here. Because the wife is the weaker vessel, give her some respect and some honor, some esteem and some approval and some admiration because God made her that way. Let me jump ahead for just a second here about the weaker vessel. Clay. Think clay. Can clay make a toilet? Do they make toilets from clay? Is it a porcelain pony that you have at home? You have this toilet. It's big. It's bulky. It's hard. It can take some abuse. It's a vessel. But it's not a weak vessel. It's strong. If you get up in the middle of the night and don't have a nightlight and you don't have shoes on, you could hurt your toes or other parts of your anatomy on that vessel. But now I want you to think about a weaker vessel. And I appreciate a brother in the church that wanted to share this with me. This little point. It's a good point. How about a teacup? A teacup is a weaker vessel. Especially a valuable teacup. I'm talking about a special teacup. Do you keep it in the bathroom? Where do you put this special teacup? In a special cabinet for it. In a china closet, in a china cabinet, on a mantle. It's out for display because it's elegant. It's, re- it's refined. It's pretty. It's tender. It's delicate. I like that. Does it say that anywhere in the Bible? Uh, it's Proverbs 5.19. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe, which we'll get to uh, soon. There are many ways in which you show respect, esteem, admiration, and approval of a wife. May I run through a little tiny list? We're just going to run a little ways and we're going to have our break. There are many ways in which you can honor your wife. What are the two ways of 1 Peter 3.7? She's the weaker vessel, and she is equal to me in Jesus Christ. When it comes to God's mind toward the two of us, there is no difference except in our our functional relationship of husband and wife. There's no qualitative difference, just like there wasn't between Jews and Greeks and between bond and free. They're all men, and, and the wife is equal in the sight of God. But those two, weaker vessel, heirs together the grace of life, those two things are to be remembered because we are to live with our wives according to knowledge, and it's the knowledge that we never let those two things get out of hand. We never put too much upon our wife that, that, she, that we break her, that we discourage her, because we put more on her than we should. Now, some of you women need more put on you than you have, but... So just don't go home and start telling your husband about how he's putting too much on you unless you can prove it. And husband, it's your responsibility, just like a master would, to see if that's a true measure or not. And if you need help from other wives, I can help you take a survey. So it's to remember that she's the weaker vessel and not put too much upon her. It's to remember that she is equal in the sight of God so we don't demean her. She's the daughter of God, and as soon as we leave this body, there isn't any husband-wife relationship. How can you honor your wives? Uh, Let's start simply. If you open a door for a wife, is that showing her some honor? It is. It's showing her some honor. 
You're opening a door for her. I'll be the gentleman. I'll stand here for a moment, let you go through the door first. With my powerful biceps, triceps, and delts, I will open that door. My lats got involved in that when it was a heavy one. And uh, you go through the door. That's, I'm, starting with, I'm starting with an easy one. Be thankful that I'm starting with this one. Um, from very simple acts like opening doors for her, a husband can show honor to his wife. You know, it's an old practice. You know, women today might not even want it done for them because they think that they've been to the gym, so they don't need a husband to open doors for them. But it's, And, you know, that's where women start to cut off the honor that God intended for them in the Word of God. They start slicing it off. I'm strong enough to open my own door. I'm making money. I can pay for my own meal. Okay, just keep cutting that off and reduce yourself to what you are, an object for sex only. Since you don't want to be esteemed, I'm talking about worldly men looking at worldly women who want to cut off the old traditions of how and our, of our culture on how we took care of women, and that stemmed from our religion. Right, brethren. This is the third time I do keep track. Sometimes, this is the third time. This is how you honor your wife. You'll remember what I said about due benevolence. Wise men note that due benevolence is first given as a man's love of his wife which is love making her way, not your way. You don't know anything about what she wants. Listen to her. It's recalling her anatomy and greater sex capacity than yours. It's taught in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, and it's taught in the book of the Song of Solomon. You honor your wife when you talk to her. The silent treatment is what devils do to women. You will give an account for your silence when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ if your wife just wanted you to talk to her a little bit and tell her what you're thinking. It is cruel and rude not to talk to your wife. The silent treatment is what devils do to women. It's cruel and rude to get in a moody funk. You would not with most others in your life. When you have to go to work and go to a meeting, isn't it amazing how you're able to get out of your mood and your funk and perform? That's because you're honoring them. Notice my choice of words. You're honoring them more than you're honoring your wife. Rule your spirit to check your attitude, your words, your actions, just like you would if you were with a boss or with your parents or with the pastor. Or someone. Check your spirit and don't let it come through in your face, body language, words, or actions toward her. This is how you honor the wife. This, when you honor the wife, you're showing her some respect, some esteem. You're admiring her and you're approving of her and you're showing it by modifying your behavior as you would to show deferential honor to someone else that you were with. She's special. She's God's daughter. She's your wife. She's a daughter of Sarah. She changed her name for you. She lives with you. Poor thing. She sleeps with you. Poor thing. I speak as a fool to get your attention. She deserves some honor, brethren. Let's be great Christian men and show them honor in all the different ways that we can. We'll have more to cover when we come back from our break. That's enough for right now. The Lord helping me. And uh, we will fill up the second assembly with the rest of the material from this verse. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving 
honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Amen.